Canada's socialist NDP wants to criminalize oil and gas advocacy. I guess I'll have to start a prison band with my guest tonight. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. Many of you already know this story. It broke about two weeks ago. But to let you know, I have been traveling on our documentary project on Canada's culture of death. It's about our medical assistance in dying program. Really, it's medical killing. The documentary is called Made, The Dark Side of Canadian Compassion. You can learn more about what we're doing and support the project at madedocumentary.com. So that is a long explanation about why you may have been wondering why I haven't talked about this topic, considering it would affect me quite directly. <laughs> so I'm going to show you this clip from the NDP Brain Trust, Charlie Angus, two-decade MP of the NDP, on his new big idea. Take a listen. Big oil has always relied on the big tobacco playbook of delay and disinformation. And so to tackle this immense threat to human health, we need to use many of the strategies that finally took down big tobacco. In 1997, the Canadian Parliament banned advertising from big tobacco because of the clear threat to human health. This is why I'm so proud to stand here today with representatives of Canada's medical community to state that the time has come to ban all oil and gas advertising. The big tobacco moment has finally arrived for big oil. Bill C-372 will, quote, provide a legislative response to a national public health and environmental problem of substantial and pressing concerns. The bill will make it illegal for big oil and gas lobby and the gas lobby or their front groups or paid influencers to falsely promote the burning of fossil fuels as a benefit to the public. The legislation will make it illegal to falsely claim that the use of one fuel fossil fuel pro product is somehow better than another fossil fuel product uh, in improving the environment. To claim that there are clean fossil fuels is like saying there are safe cigarettes. We know that is simply not true. Morgan Stanley points out that the damage from climate crisis for the North American economy in just three years has been a staggering $415 billion. And this legislation will target advertising that falsely claims that oil and gas are having a positive impact on the global economy. And we recently learned that toxic contamination from Canada's oil and gas industry is 6,000 times higher than officially reported. This legislation will make it illegal for Canada's oil and gas giants to falsely identify themselves with the health and positive lifestyles of Canadians or with reconciliation of Indigenous people on whose lands the toxic contamination is highest. The big tobacco moment has arrived for companies like Suncor, Imperial, and the oil and gas giants of Canada. So that's Charlie Angus, uh, NDP MP of 20 years, considered actually, if there is such a thing, one of the grown-ups of the NDP party, a more moderate NDP -er. You make up your own mind about that. And he's introducing Bill 372, C-372, 
otherwise known as an act respecting fossil fuel advertising. And it would treat fossil fuel advertising or just the normalization of fossil fuel use as a criminal offense. He wants to treat oil and gas, life-affirming oil and gas, as an inherent poison to humans, which is crazy. It's the reason I survived minus 53 this past winter here in Alberta. I mean, it's ludicrous, um, but leave it to the NDP to get everything wrong. Um, and then I started thinking, this that act would criminalize the gun show. Because so much of the focus of the show is counter to the uh, apocalyptic end times cult of global warming, climate change, pay your tithe to the church of Greta Thunberg so the weather will get more gooder. Um, <laughs> so then I thought, how many of my friends besides me <laughs> would end up in prison if Charlie Angus had his way. So me, I'm in the slammer. Then we'll put Robbie Picard in with me. Uh, he's from Oil & Gas World Magazine and Oil Sands Strong, Indigenous advocate for Oil & Gas in Fort McMurray. Uh, then we'll put Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science. She can join us. Uh, Tom Harris from the International Climate Science Coalition. He'll be in the cell block with us. Oh, my friend Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. She's very anti-carbon tax, as the name of her organization indicates she might be. And she's pro-fossil fuels. That's five of us in there? You know what? Let's get a, a full lineup for the prison volleyball team going. Tonight, <laughs> you'll uh, hear from somebody, what the sixth player of our prison volleyball team, uh, somebody you know already. He used to work for us here at Rebel News. He moved to Alberta and then became an advocate for the benefits of oil and gas. So somebody who would be in cell block C with me and the rest of the gang. It's William Diaz. You might know him as our Ottawa reporter. Scrappy young man. And he is with Young Canadians for Resources. And he joins me tonight to discuss uh, Bill... C-372, and just how ridiculous it is. Take a listen. Joining me now is a familiar face to Rebel News viewers. Many of you are probably wondering, what happened to Wild Bill? Well, <laughs> here he is. Uh, he moved to Alberta and then got a job, I guess, technically in the oil patch, uh, kind of. Um, you in the sector. In the sector, you work in oil field advocacy and and fossil fuel advocacy. William Diaz, tell us what you've been up to since you've been up to Alberta. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me on your show, Sheila. I, I do public relations in the oil and gas and energy energy sector, so I just advocate for Canadian energy because I believe, as many other young people, other young people do that, Canadian energy is the the best energy in the world, the most sustainable, the better, the best for the environment, creates jobs, creates revenue for government, for social programs. So I think it's important that we, first of all, learn all the benefits and the, of the industry that we're, that we're informed of the benefits and that we advocate for its survival and, and, and sustainability in the future. Well, you haven't been in Alberta long, but boy, you sound like one of us. <laughs> 
um, I want I want to ask you just out of curiosity. Um, I always wonder what it's like for people who move to Alberta from other parts of the country because I get culture shock when I travel yeah. to other parts of the country because it's different. We really are different here in Alberta, but it's normal for me as yeah. a young person who was living in Ottawa of all places, and now you're in beautiful Calgary. What's Alberta. it been like? Yeah, well, I see Alberta as a land of opportunity. As long as you're entrepreneurial, you're willing to work hard and 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 do good for the for the province and for the country. You'll be able to do it to to and you get and to get whatever you want. So I really see Alberta as a good, strong place, and I, I think the province has a lot to offer in the future. Tell do, do you notice the people are a little different? Like that's for me when I travel outside of the province. I'm like, but when I come home, I feel like it's like. Freedom is part of our DNA here in Alberta, even when you're just new here. Yeah. The people are different. When we call ourselves ungovernable, we aren't joking. Yeah. No, the people of the province of Alberta are awesome. I think that's they're, they're really the ones that make the province great. Um, they're hard workers. They're people that are actually connected with what's running our country, which is the energy sector. They have a lot of people are just grateful for what we do here in the province. And I think that's what makes this province great. Now, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because, well, I, first of all, I ran into you the other day at a documentary screening in Calgary, and then I realized, you know what? Charlie Angus, lifer NDP MP, would love to put a young man like you in jail um, because yeah. the NDP have proposed a new law um, that would, it's called uh, Bill C-372, an act yeah. respecting fossil fuel advertising what interesting language there but basically they want to treat fossil fuel advertising in the same manner as the cigarettes scary, the scary teeth that they put on cigarettes and actually yeah. can you see a cigarette package when you go into or they have to be sort of blocked off and hidden and you have to ask for it and then they give you the cigarette package and then you're like oh the scary mouth is on there um they want us to treat fossil fuels that way as though they are um uh, a harm to our health instead of the reason we're able to live in such a forbidding uh, climate. Give us a brief rundown of what Charlie Angus would like to do to you. Yeah, so essentially Bill C-372 would make it illegal to advertise the benefits of Kenny oil and gas, which in my mind, it just blows my mind. Um, and that includes the fact that it brings significant revenue to indigenous communities nationwide. It includes that Kenny oil and gas is among the cleanest in the world. So if you mention either of those two things, you could either face up to two years in prison or have to pay $1.5 million in fine, which is insane. And you also can't highlight the fact that it creates jobs and significant revenue for the government. Revenue, by the way, that goes towards hospitals, schools, parks, arenas, universities, etc. I was just in Grand Prairie this past weekend where the Alberta Winter Games were hosted. The Alberta Winter Games were sponsored by multiple oil and gas companies. The opening ceremony was held at the Bonnets Energy Center. So just oil and gas refunds communities across the country, and this bill would make it illegal to say that. The bill also targets the phrases such as, as long as the world needs oil and gas, shouldn't it be Canadian? What's wrong with that phrase? <laughs> and if you were to have stickers like these ones or hoodies with, with the images that say, I love Canadian oil and gas, you could also face up to two years in prison because of how vaguely worded the bill is. So it's just a crazy bill. It's wild. Like you can get yeah. in trouble for advocating for Canadian oil and gas yeah. um, while we import conflict oil constantly 
to the east of the country. Like, you can't say, wouldn't it be great if the people in the east were on Alberta oil as opposed to Algerian, Nigerian, um, Iraq? You can't, under this law, this vaguely worded law, you couldn't say that or you could face up to two years in jail or multi-million dollars in fines. Um, It's so bizarre and it's demonization of the truth, right? Like it's oh, it absolutely is demonization of reality. And I'm so glad you pointed out, uh, which I I don't think people in the rest of the country realize, but it is completely normal on the prairies for your local hockey rink, yeah. your local sports team, or your local rec center to be sponsored by an oil and gas company, like yeah. all of Bonneville, Alberta, Cold Lake, Alberta. It's completely sponsored by an oil and gas company almost all the infrastructure is built in partnership with uh oil and gas money in yeah. a lot of places it's what keeps these small towns alive um and it, leave it to somebody from the east no offense like charlie angus to not know that so you can even thank synovus for yeah. <laughs> subsidizing your hockey rink you under this yeah, or any of the uh, other oil and gas companies. And it's important to point out between 2022 and 2023, our oil and gas sector generating uh, generated $112 billion in government money through royalties and taxes. That's money that went to hospitals. That's money that went to funding schools, parks, roads, and everything that makes our communities thrive. So it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's hilarious that Charlie Angus wants to make advertisement of our great energy sector illegal in Canada. Now, Charlie Angus has uh, painted himself as an advocate of Indigenous people in the past, Uh, but he would criminalize under his own bill Indigenous people who speak about fossil fuel energy as a way out of generational poverty. Um, Do you think he's given that some thought or he just doesn't even care? I mean, there's a lot of important Indigenous voices that spoke out against Bill C-372. Chris Sankey is one of them, Stephen Buffalo as well, Karen Ogan as well. They all spoke out against the bill because oil and gas, the oil and gas sector brings important revenue to Indigenous communities across the nation, especially remote Indigenous communities. I believe the IRN stated that uh, the average salary of an Indigenous person employed in the oil and gas sector is about $150,000 per year. The average salary of an Indigenous person employed in any other sector is $50,000 per year. That's $100,000 more in average per person employed in the oil and gas sector for Indigenous communities. So it brings significant revenue. It brings prosperity. Indigenous ownership in, in energy sector brings revenue to those communities and makes them thrive. Yeah, and the oil and gas sector, if I had to pick a sector that I would describe as Indigenous, I would pick the oil and gas sector because many of these projects are where Indigenous people live. Fort McMurray, for example, um, uh, places in Saskatchewan. These are places close to Indigenous communities where Indigenous young people can get a job in their own community. They don't have to leave their community and their culture to make a good living. Um, And uh, I was looking at some numbers the other day and Indigenous people are employed in the oil and gas sector at a rate that outpaces their rate of the Canadian population. Yeah. In that, um, so they are overrepresented in the oil and gas sector 
Uh, yeah. but just for the reasons I stated. And again, Charlie Angus is like, nope, put them in handcuffs, take them to jail. Well, it, hel it helps them break away from government dependency. It helps them become more independent and actually look for their own community's prosperity. So that's, that's the reason why there are so many strong indigenous voices that spoke out against the bill and that say, no, we're not going to stand by that. We're, just, we're, we're not going to say nothing about it. We're going to speak out about it because it brings prosperity to our communities. Now, this is an NDP bill, so I'm, I'm not sure it will pass the House. But, you know, you never know with how crazy the Liberals have been. I mean, we just heard the Environment Minister say no more roads. <laughs> so, so I don't know. You never really know. Uh, because yeah. the Liberals are just as radical on as the NDP on these issues, at least in their legislation, but not in their behavior. Yeah. It worries me. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I, I doubt it's going to pass. Um, but I think just as Canadians, we should be proud of our oil and gas sector. We should be proud of our energy sector. The oil and gas sector alone contributes to 7% of our GDP for the country. It creates jobs for half a million Canadians, and that's not including the families that are supported by those half a million Canadians and creates opportunities for Indigenous communities and, and young Canadians as well for the futures and, and funds schools. I'm, I'm just thinking that Alberta is currently in a leadership race in the NDP. And since we know the provincial NDP is just a tiny little part of the uh, NDP uh, yeah. brain trust, if people are watching right now and you have an NDP leadership town hall in your area, make sure you ask those candidates whether or not they agree with Charlie Angus uh, on criminalizing oil and gas advocacy and putting my friend William in jail. Now, William, I want to ask you a couple of other things that if we talk nicely about, we'll probably get thrown in jail if Charlie Angus has his way. But the inflation rate mm -hmm. is down in Saskatchewan, outpacing uh, the drop in the inflation rate across the country. And that the reason for that is because uh, Saskatchewan quit collecting the carbon tax on their electricity, um, which goes to show, you know, just how these anti-fossil fuel policies of the Liberal government are really hurting the bottom line of everyday Canadians in ways that I think it, people don't really grasp just how deep it is. That yeah. one thing that the Saskatchewan government did, not collecting carbon tax on the electricity produced by the provincial electricity producer. Yeah. Not collecting that has driven the inflation rate down in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Wouldn't you know, it's up in Alberta. Why? Yeah. Because we had a shortage of fossil fuel generated electricity and it drove, drove up our electricity rates. Yeah. So I think Saskatchewan is able to stop collecting the carbon tax because it's uh, Crown Corporations. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Whereas in Alberta, we leave it to private companies to produce the oil and gas that, that, that we consume. So that's the reason Alberta won't be able to stop collecting carbon taxes just, just like Saskatchewan is. But I think it, the carbon tax is definitely something that needs to go as soon as possible. Uh, now, you work in oil and gas advocacy, so I want to ask you, um, you know, when you see these anti-oil po policies like the carbon tax, I mean, it's it's an anti-fossil fuel policy. Yeah. Uh, that sends a bit of an investment chill uh, when you see and just this escalating carbon tax where the consumer is being hammered, but the investment in oil and gas projects, it can get parked somewhere else. I mean... 
Saskatchewan, 100%. Saskatchewan shares an oil field with North yeah. Dakota and North Dakota doesn't have a carbon tax and uh, it has a stable energy friendly government in yeah. Canada. We don't have that. And it, these bad policies of Justin Trudeau chase away well-paying, as you point out, Canadian jobs. Well, I think most of the people that are that are advocating against Canada's oil and gas sector are just m misinformed and, and poorly educated on the topic. When I was living in Quebec, it's not something that we that we speak about a lot in the East. They don't have the same awareness of how important Canada's oil and gas sector is. So that's where my job com comes in. And I try to show people that, well, you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not just about money. It's not just, just about CEOs getting richer or, or making shareholder values for people who invested in the industry. It's about making our country thrive. It's not just about oil and gas. It's about all the people that depend on the sector, all our social programs that depend on the sector and really the prosperity of Canada. So I'd say those that are against the oil and gas sector is not just about being anti-Canadian energy. It's about being anti-Canada. You know, I want to ask you about that because uh, you are doing this advocacy. You are not just speaking to the converted. Like it's easy to go to Grand Prairie and talk to people. Yeah in a town that relies on the oil and gas sector about how great oil and gas is. But you're not yeah. just doing that. So you are going places where there have been historical objections, I think misinformed objections to uh, Canada's oil and gas sector. So if you were to give tips as I think a newfound expert in this to people who are watching this, who want to help get the message out, spread yeah. the word, what are some of the myths that we should be debunking that you are hearing in your travels? Um, yeah. And how do we debunk them? Give us some tools. Well, the best examples were when I went to the University of British Columbia last summer. Uh, I went I went there for, I went there for for a weekend and spoke to many students on campus about our energy sector. So I think approaching it from a place of, you know, let's let's talk about it instead of demonizing the other side because once again, a lot of the people who oppose our energy sector, are the people who don't know a lot about it and who are poorly educated on the topic because it's not something that's being talked about a lot in universities or in Eastern Canada. So I think just coming up with facts, appealing to the emotions and showing, look, this is concretely how a thriving energy sector is going to make our country better. And I think just showing that to people helps, helps them understand a lot better. So what are they getting wrong about this? Well, I think a lot of people just think that the CEOs of the companies are greedy. I think a lot of people don't understand the ESG initiatives that our oil and gas companies across the country are actually taking part of. All of the investments that are made by companies such as Birch, Birchcliff or Tourmaline into funding hospitals, into funding schools, a lot of that just isn't shared around and isn't common knowledge for most people who aren't involved in the sector like ourselves. So just showing that to people, showing the numbers, showing the facts um, helps them understand a lot better. Do you think they understand the role of reclamation yeah. in the oil and gas sector? Because, you know, they, I, I think for a lot of people who object to the oil and gas sector, they just see the strip mining, the open pit mining of Fort McMurray, but they don't know this teeny tiny footprint of conventional oil and gas shrinking all the time. The teeny tiny yeah. footprint of fracking, because it's, a lot of times it's directional. They don't even have to be where the uh, gas is. The teeny tiny footprint of SAG-D, which is the majority of how you extract um, uh, oil sands. It's not yeah. mining. It's SAG-D. It's steam. Um, do, 
do you think they, for me, when I'm talking to people who think oil and gas is dirty, all they have in their mind is a big open pit in Fort McMurray. They don't understand that that mine is going to be filled in, reclaimed. We're going to graze buffalo on it. We're going to build a park on top. I think they think it's all like that and then just left that way. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned it because when I went to the University of British Columbia, I actually did a little video of me showing students four images of clean, beautiful sites and asking them which of these is an image of a reclaimed oil site. And most of the students had no idea which one was right because they all seemed so clean. And a lot of them were super surprised when they actually learned which one was the correct one because it just was so clean. So I think once again, that just comes from poor, poor education on the topic of oil and gas and not knowing what's actually going on after the site has been exploited. Amongst the following images, which of the following do you think used to be an oil drilling site in the past? <laughs> oil drilling site? Yeah. I'm gonna go with this one. I'm gonna go with B. I'd probably say this one. This one? B? Yeah. This one? This one? I'm gonna say B. Yeah, it's that one then? I think so. It's actually this one. Okay, it's the greenest of them all. Yeah. <laughs> this one? Oh, this, this one. one, yeah. Oh, very cool. I guess it's surprising how green it is and how everything seems to be mm -hmm. growing well. Does, does it surprise <laughs> you to see that? Uh... Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. I should have known that you were playing me. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't even say exploited. I would say just utilized. Yeah, utilized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> utilized. Um, it, and I think though, and I know that you're going to be diplomatic in this more than you used to be. Um, but I think it, uh, it also goes to the, um, the way the mainstream media talks about oil and gas. They yeah. are the reason that those university students only see the open mining and never the reclamation or the other methods of extraction. They're the reason like the, that's where they're getting their information is from social media, from activists mm -hmm. and the mainstream media who never show the life cycle of an oil and gas project. They only show the beginning as a construction. It, like when you think about yeah. oil and gas as a construction project, it's never pretty when you're building your garage, but then your garage is done and the oh, supplies are off the yard. And you're like, oh, this is beautiful. It's the same thing with oil and gas. But I think the mainstream media doesn't do a great job of telling that story. So I guess you have job security because of that, and so do I. Well, exactly. I think that's a great analogy. And when you mention activists, it's often activists that claim to speak on behalf of indigenous communities or Wait. or environmentalists that claim to speak on behalf of the indigenous communities. And indigenous leaders are fed up with it, and they've, they've made multiple articles about that. But just to go back to your main point, yeah, I think that's, that's the reason our organization exists. We're here to show... The other side of the story because we're here to have a balanced conversation on the topic of canada's energy sector because oftentimes in universities as you said we only see one side of the story we only see the negative side of the story portrayed by by scholars and so-called activists so that's that's why we're here and it, it's great to see students have open minds and change their minds on the topic by seeing the other side of the story and by seeing that canada's oil and gas sector should not be as demonized 
as it is right now. You know, I think you're the right guy for this job because you we trained you in telling the other side of the story. You're doing that. You're also a young person from the eastern part of this country. So you yeah. know uh, where the gaps in information are because you were exposed to those gaps in information. Mm-hmm. But you came into your working knowledge of the oil and gas sector with an open mind. So I think that's wonderful. Tell us how people can find some of the work that you're doing. Uh, some people can go to, honestly, if you go to ycresources.ca, we have a website there, we have a Twitter account, we have a YouTube channel, we have an Instagram account. If you look at our, so Yakane's for Resources is the youth wing of Canada Action, which is our bigger, bigger nonprofit organization. If you go on Twitter at, YC, at ycresources.ca, you'll see, uh, you'll see some of our content there as well. Awesome. Uh, William, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for the work that you do on behalf of, I guess, guess the truth, but also just regular old oil patch families like mine. Um, We care deeply about nature. We think about it differently than the other side uh, of this argument. And really, as you point out, sometimes there isn't um, another side to this argument it's just people who don't have all the facts. And I think you're doing a good job of well, outreach. Well, exactly. And glo- global oil and gas demand is growing. And it's set to continue to grow in the following years. So the real question to ask is really just, as long as the world needs oil and gas, should, should it not be Canadian? Should it not come from Canada? And as soon as you as soon as soon you ask the question, I think it's just common sense at this point. You keep talking like that, Charlie Angus is going to throw you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I'll have to hide. I'll have to hide the stickers that I have right here. Thanks, William. We'll talk soon. Well, we've come to the portion of the show wherein we invite your viewer feedback. I say this every week, and I know it's redundant, but I think it's important that I say it every week because it is really important. It's like the number one most important thing about Rebel News. We care about what you think about the work that we do here, at Rebel News, because without you. There's no us. We don't exist without you. You know, we'll never take a penny from Justin Trudeau. And how could we ever hold him to account if we did? So we have to rely on your willing support. And I think the least we can do if we're asking for your support is to listen to what you have to say to us on the stories that we're doing. It's why we never close the comment section. And it's why I give out my email address right now. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line. If you've got something to say, say it there. It might just get read on the show. But also, you know, maybe you're not somebody who watches this show behind the paywall at Rebel News Plus. Maybe that's not in your budget. I appreciate that. Justin Trudeau is finding newer ways to pick your pockets all the time and leave your family with less money. So if you're watching the free version of the show, be it on YouTube, over on Rumble, you're sitting through some ads. Thank you very much. Every little bit helps. Leave a comment over there, too. Sometimes I go looking over there. Um, Quite frequently, actually. Maybe about 30-40% of my comments that I read on air come from over there. So don't let this show sitting behind a paywall be a bar for entry. All that is to say, I've got a letter. Came to the email inbox, and it came... Very recently, but on a show that I did a couple of weeks ago when Kean Simone, our chief documentary filmmaker, and I were in, I think we were, were in Ottawa at the time. We're 
running around the country, taking some early morning flights and some very late morning flights on some very, very affordable airlines, <laughs> if you get my drift, uh, to make a documentary on medical assistance in dying, made as they call it, which is this sterilized form of what it really is in its medical killing. Our documentary is called Made, The Dark Side of Canadian Compassion. You can learn more about it at madedocumentary.com. You can also chip in to support our work there. As I said, we're taking some very inconvenient but affordable flights <laughs> to save money. Um, and uh, because I have other work to do with this company, besides making a documentary, well, I, you know, I got to bring you a show every week on, on Wednesday. So we filmed a gun show from our Airbnb in Ottawa. And we talked about, you know, sort of Kean's experience about changing his mind on medical assistance and dying from someone who was, yeah, you know what? Your body, your choice, you do what you want to this is a great evil. And we never should have opened the door to any of this. That's sort of where he's come around on the topic. You can watch the show. It's a couple weeks back. Um, there's a free version and a paywalled version. Uh, so you can see what I'm talking about. But uh, I thought it was uh, an interesting conversion story, a Saul to Paul moment for Kian. Um, and he came to that conclusion after speaking to the families and the people who are experienced have unique experiences with medical assistance and dying. And that letter, it, the letter I got came to me from somebody named Lori. And she says, Dear Sheila, I love the fact that you're doing a documentary on MAID. We need to know the truth. And friends, it is worse than you could ever imagine. Um, before I continue on with this letter, I, I, I should tell you, my email inbox on this topic is split 50-50. It is people with stories, horror stories, like the worst possible horror stories of medical assistance and dying. And 50% of people saying, Sheila, Kian, you guys are exaggerating. It's totally not that bad. It's just for people who are in intense physical suffering whose deaths are imminent. Not even not even close. And because my email inbox is it, it's split 50-50, that's exactly why we need to do this documentary. Because we can use the horror stories of the reality to inform the other people who think it's not that bad, who think I'm exaggerating, who think it couldn't possibly be that bad. It's that bad and worse, as we're finding out. Anyway, back to the letter. We need to know the truth. Thank you for your sit down with Kian and his honesty in the matter. How knowing about the truth, hearing people's stories and understanding about what is really going on has dramatically changed his mind on MAID. The death culture in Canada has stripped us of compassion and I'm afraid of where this will continue to go. The can of worms, Pandora's box, if you will, has been opened. At what point, where do we draw the line? I'm a mother of a handicapped girl, now 38 years old. I can't help but wonder... At what point do we see fit to help those who are not as capable as some out of their misery? It's already happening. Or do we even allow them to live in the first place? I know it is said of Denmark that there are no disabled persons to be seen anymore. One has to wonder. You know, I saw a tweet 
this is on the other side of the life experience. Um, and it was from Iceland. And they were sort of bragging that there are no people born with Down syndrome there anymore. It's not that like they found a cure for Down syndrome. They're just not letting those babies live beyond the womb. And uh, they saw it as a good thing. Lori tells us her own story. My own story. I became severely depressed after my fourth child now 23 years ago. But I remember vividly not wanting to live, not wanting to live with the mental anguish and torture I was in. I remember trying to decide how to end my life, but not wanting to leave my husband with the children. One of the things that I struggled with was, do I take the baby with me or not? It seems very dark now that I say it, and indeed it is, but that is the reality of the depressed mind. Turns out, I did seek help, was not offered maid, thank God. I know I would have taken it at the time. What I needed was an ear to hear, some hormone therapy, and a few antidepressants for a short time to enable me to process and get better. And you know what? That's really the problem with a lot of this is it happening so fast there's no time to process there's no time for treatment there's no time for the chemicals in your brain to get right made happens faster than that Lori goes on I look back on the last 23 years and although nothing is ever easy for every minute of every day I'm ever so thankful that I chose life my experience has helped others as I listen to women who are suffering with postpartum depression not one experience is ever lost if you choose to grow from them and use them to help others. Fellow warrior, Lori in Powell River. I hope we're able to bring this documentary when it's finished to Powell River or somewhere close to you, although it will be available online when it is done. But I've never met anybody, and I'm sure, Lori, you are the same. Somebody who has ever attempted suicide or seriously contemplated suicide and who has come out the other side I've never met a single person who wishes that they had been successful in their attempts or in their ideation. Sometimes it's just time. Um, even beyond treatment, sometimes it's just time. Time to get through that intense moment of despair. And I will tell you, the statistics show that it is not physical suffering. It is not imminent death that people are choosing medical assistance and dying for. It is because of a lack of purpose. This this is what the studies show. Um, a lack of usefulness. It's, it's despair. Despair is transient. It will go. It will go. If we just give people the time and the support that they need. And MAID does complete, completely the opposite. Again, if you want to support the documentary, it's at madedocumentary.com. I think it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, but I think one of the most important because uh, stories like Lori's and stories like the people we've interviewed, they will change minds. They will save lives. That's my hope. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place. That is, if Charlie Angus doesn't have me taken to jail. And as always... Don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.